This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about farmland estate planning and what to do when your land is your legacy to your family. Now, I know that there's a lot of people listening that have connections in the agricultural community. In fact, uh, probably even more now than in the past because recently Stark Financial Services opened a new location in Storm Lake, Iowa, and uh, there is a lot of surrounding farmland around there and a lot of agricultural-based families. So I know this is going to be an important topic for those of you who are listening. The reason that farm estate planning is something specific that I want to talk about is because it is not necessarily the same type of estate planning as regular estate planning would be if you don't own farmland. And the reason for that is because farms are something that families like to keep a hold of. Farms are something that most families want to retain in their families for generations to come. We call that a multi-generational approach. And family farm owners usually have a very strong emotional attachment to the land. They treat the land they farm as an extension of their home. And often that farm has been in their family for multiple generations. I know that we have a number of farms around our location that are 100 year farms where for multiple generations, multiple cycles of the family, that farm has been in the family. And what's changing though, is that some of the kids are no longer interested in staying on the farm or farming the farm. And over time, there's less and less interest in someone actually staying and doing that kind of work. And it's presenting a problem for the families who still want to retain the land in their family, yet don't have someone that wants to actively farm it. And that's where some strong farm-related, agricultural-related estate planning comes in. Another thing is that family farms are not mobile. (laughs) I mean, you can't just pick up the land and move it if someone wants to move across country, whereas many other businesses that people have can relocate. So that's something that's very unique to the whole farm estate planning piece of things. And then lastly, the land is really a very valuable asset. Um, For many farm families, the land itself is the most valuable asset that they have, and it can be worth millions and millions of dollars and is something that they definitely want to be able to pass down. Now, the tricky part about this, like I said, is that some farm owners have no children who are interested in farming, but still want to keep the land in the family. And others have some children who are interested in farming and some who are not, but they don't want to leave all the land outright to just the on-farm heirs. And so it's tricky to figure out what to do. And the bottom line is it comes down to this. What's fair is not always equal. And what's equal is not always fair. You might have children who have stayed on the farm, who have worked the farm, 
who've built the value of the farm up significantly because of their contributions and maybe not received a tremendous amount of monetary compensation along the way. Yet at the passing of mom and dad who own the farm, if the value is split equally, it may not seem fair to that on-farm child because their efforts went into boosting the value of the farm. Whereas the non-on-farm heirs really are just getting the value of it and didn't have to put the effort in to try to build it up to make it what it is today. So you see a lot of infighting. You see a lot of challenges in a family. You see a lot of problems rise up in the family dynamic if things are not handled as well as they can be. So we're going to talk about some different solutions for farm estate planning today and some things that you can think about when you're trying to figure out how to actually transfer the value of your farm to your heirs. Now, estate planning of in, in itself is really making sure that what you have gets to who you want to when you want to and how you want it to get to them when you pass away in the most tax effective way possible. So a good farm estate plan is going to provide for your family after you die. It's going to minimize the expenses of getting the assets transferred. It's going to protect your farm and your family from litigation and creditors. It will get the property that you care about so very much to your loved ones as quickly as possible. It will save your family from difficult decisions and conflict. It should reduce the tax burden for everyone involved. A good farm estate plan will help you as the farm owner make your retirement planning a bit easier and overall is designed to help protect your actual legacy. So farm estate planning and farm succession planning are kind of interchangeable words. They can basically be the same type of thought pattern, same type of concept. But when you come into the estate planning and the succession planning on a farm, it really has to cover more than one thing. So a good plan is going to cover not only the transferring of the assets, but it's also going to pay attention to the transferring of the operations. A farm has a lot of operations happening on it. They call it a farm operation for a reason. That's because there's a lot of moving pieces. And the farmland and the business of farming are two very different things. And often that is really not looked upon or taken into consideration when people just do a generic will or some quick and easy estate planning. But both transferring the assets and transferring the operations needs to be addressed in coordination. And the plan for both should really work in harmony with both aspects, but different strategies are going to go into each area. And the specifics are going to totally depend on your own personal situation. So you really want to think about what you want to have happen at the end of the day. When it comes to your assets, who do you want to actually end up owning the land, owning the machinery, things like that? But when it comes to the operation of the farm, who do you want to actually run the farm? How do you want the operation of the farm to actually be executed? And because the operation is going to create some level of income, 
who do you want to receive the income from the actual farm operation itself? So those are the main considerations that you have to take into mind when you are making your estate plan for your farm. So it's best to really sit down with an estate planner and you are definitely going to have to involve an attorney to work with you on the drafting of the documents. A financial planner can help put the plan together and help it be a coordinated effort amongst your financial side, your tax side, and your legal side, but you have to bring an experienced attorney in to draft the documents to memorialize the plan and make it actually legal. Now, after you figure out what your long-term goals and objectives are, then the planning begins. Now that we know what the end is that we have in mind, we have to start to build the plan. And if you've discovered that what you want is a legacy farm, meaning that something is going to stay in the family for multiple generations, your planning is going to take you down one path. But if you come to the conclusion that after your death, your family is likely to sell the land, that's a whole different level of planning. And then there might be something in the middle. You might have some children that want to hold on to the land and some children that don't. They want to go ahead and cash out. And how are you going to help the children who want to maintain the farm stay in ownership of it when it might be millions and millions and millions of dollars of value? (laughs) If they're in, that's how you need to have a good estate plan. Okay, so when you're figuring out how to pass on the family farm to the next generation, one of the things that I want to say is, Expect this to be a bit of a process. Creating a farm estate plan is rife with emotional landmines. There is a lot of thought that has to go into it, and it's going to take some time to really put it together in a way that leaves you pleased with the outcome and leaves you with a good feeling that your beneficiaries are going to feel like you did them a favor by setting it up right. So factors to consider when you're thinking about transferring this is you have to understand how it's going to impact the financial side of your children. You also have to take into consideration what their financial situation is. Sometimes we see farms being left to children who have rocky marriages. And the concern is that that child might then lose their share of the farm in a divorce. Sometimes an heir has issues with substance abuse or gambling or issues where they're irresponsible with money and people don't necessarily want to allow that person to have the responsibility of deciding whether or not to sell the family farm that they've worked so hard to maintain. So there are a number of things that you can specify how you want to have things happen by setting up what is called a trust. Congratulations to Mary Stirk for being named three years in a row to the 2020 Forbes list for Best in State Wealth Advisors and Top Women Wealth Advisors.
Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and we're talking today about farmland estate planning and how to most effectively transition the assets and the operation of your farm to the next generation. One of the best tools that is out there that farm families can utilize is a trust. And a trust arrangement is a way for the owners of the land to specify how they want things to happen following their death with their land and the operations. Now, there are two types of major trusts that I want to mention when we talk about transferring land as a farm operation. The first is called a revocable living trust. Revocable means that you can change it during your lifetime. Living means that you set it up and that you transfer the assets of your farm into the ownership of this trust while you are alive. Now, while that might sound a little nerve-wracking for some, it's really not that difficult of a process. So for instance, I'm Mary Stirk. I might have a Mary Stirk revocable living trust, and I could put the ownership of my farm into my Mary Stirk revocable living trust. I would be the trustee. I would still have full control and ownership over it. I can still sell the farm if I want to. I can change the way the trust works if I want to. I can change the beneficiaries if I want to. I, as the trustee of my own trust, still retain full control. It's kind of like the trust is your alter ego. In fact, the trust of your revocable your revocable trust is actually likely to have the same tax ID number as you do. It usually will maintain your social security number. Now, the second type of trust is called an irrevocable trust. And an irrevocable trust means that you cannot change it. Irrevocable means you can't change it. In an irrevocable trust, you are gifting or moving assets into this trust and you are in fact giving up control of them. The trust would have a trustee who is not you. You don't get to dictate or control what's going on inside of an irrevocable trust. Now, there are reasons to use those, but they have to be darn good reasons to use those (laughs) because you are giving up the control, you're giving up the flexibility, and ultimately you're giving up the ownership. And so your relationship with the trustee needs to be such that everybody's on the same page and understanding what the goal is of this irrevocable trust. Now, Some of the reasons that people are willing to give up flexibility and control in an irrevocable trust could be that they are trying to um, uh, use it as a way to avoid estate planning, uh, taxes. It could be uh, a way for them to handle certain situations within their family that need to be handled. One of the tax reasons that people use irrevocable trusts is is if their estate is over $22 million worth of value because of the farmland, then using an irrevocable trust may be something that comes into play. Now, here's what I mean by that. Right now, if you pass away and you pass down assets that are more than around $11.5 million, then you are going to have your estate owe estate taxes on that. A married couple can be around that $22 million mark that I mentioned earlier. 
So if your farm value is over that, it may be wise to think about moving some of it into an irrevocable trust while the estate tax rules are at the level they are and while you're still healthy. And then if the tax rules revert later on, you have already effectively moved that out of your estate and the estate taxes could potentially be avoided. But that is a type of trust that is generally used more specifically for people with the larger estate values. For many people, the revocable living trust, which has the flexibility and the control, can be a great way to set up things for the farm family transfer. So one of the things that you can do in the trust is you can specify who you want your beneficiaries to be. Now, in that trust, you can make distinctions between heirs who are still on the farm and farming and heirs who are not on the farm. One of the other things that you can do is you can specifically set up leases to the children that you want to remain the farming children on the farm. So suppose that you as parents had three kids. Child A is on the farm who lives and works on the farm. Child B and child C don't live on the farm and they don't farm the land. The parents want to be fair to all three kids, but they also want to ensure that child A can continue to farm the land after they're gone. The trust could specify that child A is to use the land for agricultural purposes, either on a rent-paying basis or on a rent-free basis. That approach allows child A to farm the land without needing to purchase the land from the siblings. And that that arrangement could work for a period of time. Now, if you're going to set up a lease like that to a child, most of the time it's not rent-free. Most of the time they have to pay the rent as part of the farming operation. And then the child B and C would have some income from that rent in lieu of being able to sell the land. Inside of the trust, you also could set up and memorialize a lease to a third party. So if there's no children who are going to work on it, but you want to be able to lease the land to a third party for a period of time, you can set that up inside of the trust too. The trust could also have some restrictions on the use and the sale of the land. So the trust can restrict the sale of the land for a period of time, although it is not indefinite. It cannot be forever. But even if no farm family member is currently farming it, then the trust can restrict it. The trust could also provide that the land only be used for agricultural purposes and therefore not be able to be sold for housing developments or business developments. So the interesting thing about that restrictive piece of it is it will protect it for a while, but it won't protect it forever. And usually if there's a restriction on it, then it does give the flexibility to have income come off of it. So it's an asset that at least can pay for its own taxes, its own insurance if need be, and things like that. Now, if there's debt on the land, it's going to be even more important to be able to set it up for your heirs in such a way that the operation side can cover the debt payments as well, because you don't want to restrict a sale and create a financial burden for your heirs by having to pay more than what that land is actually generating and have it be a cash outflow for them. At the very worst, you would want it to break even for them, not be a cash outflow. 
Another thing that the trust can do is set up what's called rights of first refusal. So if you have multiple children and you have somebody who is interested in keeping it or you have someone who is farming it, the trust could set up provisions of rights of first refusal that your children have to offer it to the farming child to buy it from them at fair market value rather than uh, be able to just sell it to anybody that they want to. And that is a very frequent provision that's used to make sure that they maintain the farm in the family if at all possible. Another option outside of a trust is to use a limited liability company. And then you can do some of these same things inside the operations agreement of a limited liability company with lease provisions, sale provisions, rights of first refusal. And instead of actually leaving the land to your children, what you're doing is leaving shares of the limited liability company to your children instead. Now, all of that being said, going back to the fair may not be equal and equal may not be fair, one of the things that sometimes happens is that the child who is staying on the farm and is doing the farming ends up cash poor and land rich, whereas the other siblings may end up cash rich and have no interest in maintaining or holding ownership of the land. So one solution that people often use is having some life insurance in place in order to help the farming child finance the purchase of the land from their siblings. Now, is that fair? Maybe not, because the farming child would inherit their share of the land and inherit life insurance cash. But if the goal of that cash is to buy out the siblings and not leave the farming child in a cash strap position, that can be a very effective solution for that situation. Another issue that has to be included in your farming estate plan is long-term care issues. So if you uh, and your spouse might have some type of chronic long-term care health issue, create a problem where land needs to be sold before your death, it can really have a strong effect on your estate planning. So you have to bring the long-term care piece of that planning into your estate plan puzzle and make sure that you are addressing that as well. So I hope this has been valuable ways that farm estate planning can be set up. I sure encourage you to reach out to the estate planners in our offices. We have offices now in Storm Lake, Dakota Dunes, and Kansas City. And we definitely have an estate planning where we can help agricultural families move that land, transfer that land down to the next generation in the most tax-effective way possible. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney 
or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Stirk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list includes 10 recipients per state. The award is based on qualitative and quantitative data, rating thousands of wealth advisors with a minimum of seven years of experience and weighing factors like revenue trends, assets under management, compliance records, industry experience, and best practices. The award is not based on portfolio performance or client reviews. There is no fee in exchange for rankings. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation.